This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 504 with Kelly Travis. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 504. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. As a health and success coach, Kelly Travis helps ambitious, high-achieving women realize they don't have to should their way to success in life or business. Through her programs and speaking, Kelly helps women realize what they actually want for themselves, ditch limiting beliefs and excuses, and create a sustainable action plan to achieve their big, scary goals. Kelly models the ideal mix of professionalism, compassion, and discipline to help women get to where they want to go, not to where she thinks they should go. Her methods are not prescriptive, but where they truly want to go in their career and life. Her brave, sassy, and always approachable coaching style encourages women to take a cold, hard look at their habits, mindset, boundaries, and everything that goes into creating a life on their terms. Kelly has a Bachelor of Science in Public Health with an emphasis on mental health from Central Michigan University. She's also a graduate of the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, where she earned her certification as a holistic health coach, and her passion for wellness and her ability to create successful strategies to reach her goals started in college, where she was a collegiate All-American runner at UNC Charlotte. Kelly also has extensive background in sales, marketing, and publishing in the competitive Las Vegas market, allowing her to seamlessly communicate with leaders, individuals, and organizational teams on all levels to prioritize their well-being while working on their goals in both business and life. Kelly's a firecracker. She's a single mom of two. She's someone that I met through a coaching group that we were in, a business coaching group that we were in together. And we got to sit next to each other one day and I had a great conversation with her that day. And we got to pick up right where we left off and continue our great conversation today. This was a ton of fun. This is a great conversation. It's not a light conversation, but it's interesting how we can talk about hard things and still get in a good laugh here and there. So Kelly's going to talk about some really big events in her life, some really transformational events in her life around surviving an eating disorder and an abusive marriage, and really give you an inside glimpse of what it looks like to recover from something so big as one of those two examples and come out on the other side with really great coping skills and tools and tools that allow you to keep showing up real and perfectly and real messy, but still continue to move forward and to own and honor who you are. So listening to hear Kelly share the truth about our struggle to dream or create goals 
the way we make choices that provide false benefits and let us hide from our dreams, how her eating disorder led into her current career, how her unplanned pregnancy pushed her to learn how to use her voice and ultimately leave an abusive marriage, her daily coping skills to continue to work on herself as she recovers from an abusive relationship and as a single mom to two littles, how she shows up as her imperfect, messy, and most authentic self, how to start working toward a goal based on how you want to feel versus metrics and milestones, and why you need to make decisions for yourself not based on other people's formulas, templates, prescriptions, or opinions. So here we go. Let's dive in with Kelly Travis. Kelly, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation. (laughs) Yes, it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's start with the not fun part. You are a single mom virtual with two kids at home doing virtual learning. How are you doing? (laughs) That's fun. Just kidding. (laughs) Honestly, I'm very ready for them to go back to school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always tell people I never wanted to be a stay at home mom. And I am very confident that was the right decision after all of this. (laughs) This has been very affirming in that direction. (laughs) Yes. I have days, right? Like everybody else where I'm like, okay, I can do this. And then the next day is like, I just, I think I'm going to fall off the cliff. And with a kindergartner, it's been especially difficult because they just need to be in person. I'm thankful that we're in Vegas and the weather is nice and we get outside a lot. So yes, we're making it work. It's amazing. Like, I feel like at the end of all this, we will all have such great self-talk skills. Not that we like, not that we'll remember to use them, but the amount of times and the amount of times per day that we have to like pick ourselves up by the bootstraps to be like, no, I can do this. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to have a good attitude. And it's like, we've been doing this every single day now for coming up on nine months. Uh, Yes. It's a lot. I uh, do a little tapping and it's, I can do this. That's, I just repeat it to myself over and over again. (laughs) So good. Okay. So tell us, we'll actually go into something that's actually more exciting now. Not that that part wasn't exciting, but uh, to move into something that you might light you up more than virtual learning. Tell us about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. The dynamics, meaning how did I get here? No. So like kind of beyond your bio, where are you at right now in terms of, I mean, we heard a little bit about personal, but professional life, what you're doing with your work in this time, and then something you're excited about. Yes. I'm really diving into and growing my mastermind program. So I have decided starting in the new year that I'll have three different cohorts per year, which I'm super excited about. It is the work that lights me up the most working with women to create, you know, realize their goals that they've been hiding from to in a community, admit they want more and to figure out a strategy to make that happen. That's the big thing that I'm working on the most. And I'm also really excited because I do some corporate work within organizations with their employees and their leadership. And I've really been loving, I'm working with the center here, which is the LGBTQ organization and just being able to serve a community that is doing so much work in our community has been really thrilling for me and humbling too. I love it. I feel like one of the things that has been so important during this wild year that and wild and relentless year is the ability to have impact. Yes. And the ability to like connect with places, people, organizations that are doing good in the world. It just feels like such a gift (laughs) during these times. So much. It's so true. And just the ripple effect, right? Like if I can help them, they can show up better for their clients and in their community. And it's just, it's amazing. I love it. Oh, so good. So you talk about how women don't know they have goals. And this something that comes up, this is such a timely conversation. I have women who come to me all the time and they're like, 
I know I want to work on some things, but I don't know what, or I know someday I want to have my own business, but I don't know what it would be about. Or I know I have a lot of ideas, but I don't like they, it's hard to, and I mean, some of this might just be like the reality of moms, especially right now, not being able to complete a thought because we have so much constant stimulus. But I do also think there's this underlying, probably overwhelm that we have a hard time creating goals, defining goals, giving ourselves permission to like set a goal in stone and really go for it. So can you talk about how you help women in that in that capacity? Yes, from my own personal experience, not as an athlete, but also just as a high achiever, I realized years ago that I was chasing everybody else's goals. And whether it was just climbing the ladder and moving to the next rung, or it was going after the thing that some coach told me I should want, or, you know, following life in the order conventionally, you know, we're supposed to follow it, right? Whatever that looks like. And I think we become so programmed to do what everybody else is telling us, what society expects us to do, right? We could really, you know, dive into the patriarchy, but in terms of, okay, well, I'm just doing what, what I should be doing, the shoulds, right? The rules, we're following all these and we lose what we had just as kids, this ability to dream mm-hmm. and to think about these wild things that are out of reach. But when we're kids, we're like, this can happen, right? Right. I'm so obsessed with this concept because as women, especially, we put a cap on what we're capable of doing, even if we allow ourselves to dream, right? It's uncomfortable. It's scary. So instead we live on autopilot. We do what is is in the shoulds and in the rules. And anytime we allow ourselves to dream, we kind of shut it down or we say it's not the right time or whatever it is, right? Absolutely. I see this all the time. And I also think, I think it's like a constant putting off in order to prioritize someone else. And so it's like, well, after this, after the kids are all in school or after they're all in middle school or after they leave the house or after, 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 after I retire. And it's like, we've spent our entire lives waiting for that after and we never have gotten there. No. And those are just excuses we create to hide, right? It, that's all it is. Yeah. The procrastination, the perfectionism, the blaming it on everybody else that we're just hiding right. from it. Right. Because it's scary. Yes, it's totally scary. And it sounds really noble to say, like, I just really want to be there for my kids right now. So I'm going to prioritize them. And like, no judgment on anyone who says that, because I don't think that's about it's not bad to want to be there for your kids. No, but it's a little bit of a crutch. Let's be honest. And I think that we have all sorts of crutches. I have this come up when people are like, well, I don't want to spend money on your programs right now because like we're really trying to save up. But then in the same breath, like your husband is going to get some new golf clubs and your kids, you just spent a ton of money on your kids like basketball camp. Yes. So it can be a crutch. Like we can make, we get really good at making excuses to prioritize other people's needs, dreams, goals at the expense of our own. And like, it's okay to be, want to be a good person and want good things for other people. But when it's constantly at the expense of your own dreams and goals and desires, that's not okay. No, it's not. At the end of the day, we become very resentful and yes, all the things that come with that. Right. And it's, as you said, it's convenient to blame it on everybody and everything else. Right. Yes. It's hard to take ownership of like, oh, actually, I could invest in this and then show up and do the work and create something great. And the goals that I could reach or change my reality or, you know, go and serve in a big way in the world. Yes. In my world, we call that a false benefit, right? So if I say that, you know, my kids come first and I have to prioritize my family, well, that's a false to me to not have to go after that thing. Right. Oh my gosh. I love that. So, but we have it in every area. Yes. Right. Whether it's health or it's business or relationships, there is a false benefit that keeps us in that victim mode. And I hate using that word victim, but we all fall into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. 
This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Can you talk about how your personal experience around identity and life, especially in some of the things that you've been through, has impacted your work and your beliefs and where you're at right now? I know you have a couple of big things that really formed who you are, how you show up, and how you serve. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah, it's interesting. I was having a conversation the other day that it just always reminds me. There's a really large theme throughout my life up until, you know, I started to do my own work where I wasn't using my voice, which is super common with women, especially, right? And I remember in second grade, my teacher accusing me of using a baby voice when I read And it was from there that I just, I started to hide my voice. I didn't use it. When I went to college, I was a competitive athlete on scholarship to run. And my coach, like many high-level athletic coaches, wanted us to lose weight and be thin because he thought we would run faster. And I am an achiever. I am all about people-pleasing or was. And I had my sights set on the Olympics. So when he literally sat me down in his office after, you know, months and months of reaching like for my, the back of, you know, like the back part of your arm where you're self-conscious sometimes he would grab that and say, Travis, you've got some fat back there. Wow. And just those were the types of things he would say to us. And he sat me down my freshman year in college and said, Kelly, if you lose X amount of weight over the summer, you're going to get these things and I guarantee you'll do this, right? And as a freshman in college, like wanting to prove myself. A high achiever, people pleaser freshman. Yeah, I took that and I ran with it. And within a year, I had to, my last race in college was I was an All-American. I had to drop out of school, was hospitalized for about six months in and out of the hospital, um, really, really sick, like on a pick line, all the things. And it was in that moment, like in the hospital, on the psych ward that I was like, okay, I have got to figure this out. And when I do, I promise, like I made an, I negotiated with, (laughs) like, I promise I'm going to spend my life helping women with using their voice and their, you know, mental and emotional health. And I got out, but for about 10 years after that, and I went to school for it and I studied mental health and I created my own degree working with, you know, mental and emotional health. And then I ended up just getting comfortable 
And so I looked healthy, but I never really did the emotional and mental work to overcome my own body acceptance and self-worth and all those things that are wrapped up in that, right? And it wasn't until, and then my career completely changed and I ended up in marketing and publishing and doing the whole climbing the ladder thing. And I found myself years later, about 12 years later on the bathroom floor, staring at a pregnancy test and crying, not tears of joy, but panic. I was in an abusive, emotionally and mentally abusive relationship. I was pregnant. I still hadn't done anything to work on my health. And once again, I was not using my voice. And that was kind of the catalyst for starting to do the work on myself. It's amazing what having a kid will push you to do. Yeah. And that's when it started. And it didn't all just magically happen then. I ended up staying in that relationship long enough to have another kid. And it was right after that I decided to leave. So I eventually left when my youngest was a year old. And that was the best decision I've ever made. Holy cow. So I have so many follow up questions. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about the amount of work that you had to do to use your voice to leave? Yes. Because I would imagine, given kind of everything that you said before that, that you were a person who was probably used to staying in uncomfortable situations and managing them like quietly in the background. And I know enough about eating disorders to know that there's a lot of people that stay in really awful situations and manage that cope through an eating disorder. And so stay in a really unhealthy marriage and then spend all of their time managing anorexia or bulimia. And that's like how that's the coping mechanism. And so can you talk about what it took for you to get to the point of being able to actually use your voice to leave your marriage? Yes, it was a combination of things. You know, I had two little boys at that point. And what's interesting is that I had asked for a divorce when my youngest was like two months old. The reason we got married was because I needed insurance. And, you know, just I was at such a low point in my life. That's when we're most susceptible to people who, you know, take you on as their little, you know, you become a victim. And uh, I knew that I wanted to leave. We had moved several times for his job. I never felt secure in leaving because I didn't know how I was going to do it on my own. And that was always the excuse, right? Like that and my self-worth was so low that, you know, Sarah, the narcissist personality, just the roller coaster, the manipulation, the, I always felt like it was my fault. Like I was doing something wrong. It was always on me. Right. And I felt I was so embarrassed that I had gotten myself into this, that I didn't tell anybody about it. And so ashamed, right. And then finally, we moved back to Las Vegas and I had the courage because I knew I had a community here. He wanted to go to therapy, last ditch effort. And I said, fine. After two sessions with a therapist, I reached out to her myself and said, I need to talk to you. I went and she sat me down and they're not really supposed to do this, (laughs) but she sat me down and she said, you're in a relationship with an abusive man. You need to read this book. I know you're staying because of the boys, but you need to leave because of the boys. Mm. Do you want them to grow up and witness the way that a man should not be treating a woman? And, you know, she reminded me that this type of personality just gets more aggressive and abusive. And at that point, he was borderline physical. And it was within 24 hours that I asked him for a divorce, found a lawyer, it was done. So I needed that little bit. But in terms of the work that I did for my self-worth, I really, really started to study the brain and how we think and how the what we think impacts how we feel and our actions. And I just dove headfirst into the science of it because for so long, the woo part of trying to manage my thoughts was not working for me. It doesn't work for me. And science shows that, you know, doesn't always work for most people. And so kind of diving into and understanding the way my brain was working helped me start to do the work to change my behaviors. 
I think that's really interesting that you bring up the science versus the woo, because I think there's people that can, re- you know, it can resonate in either direction for people. Yep. But I love that you went and you found like the thing that you were like, this is what I need. This is what's going to give me the power that I need. And this is how I'm going to put it into action. Yes. So important. What has, so surviving an eating disorder and an abusive marriage, these aren't things that you like read a book or do a little bit of work around and then you're like, okay, now I'm all better. <laughs> like this is massive work to overcome either of these life events or life situations. And what does that look like for you? I mean, so you've been out of that marriage now for how, four years? Four years. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure in some ways that feels like a very long time. And in some ways it probably feels pretty recent still. Yeah, it does feel it's hard. You know, I feel like time is so difficult to know right now, especially in these COVID times. Yeah, <laughs> in COVID, because COVID has been 20 years long. So. <laughs> right. And it's hard for me to believe, like I look back sometimes at pictures when my youngest son and I think, holy shit, how did I do that? Right? Yeah. And at the time I was really just starting my business. So financially it was just, it was a lot. And I went through some health issues because of it. Like I suffered from adrenal fatigue and, you know, I had to learn how to take care of myself so that I could take care of them. And that's why that's so foundational to my work. And I, that's why I'm obsessed with just women not standing for anything more than they deserve. What does your work on yourself look like today, four years later, in terms of what you do to work on your own mental health, having gone through what you've gone through and now being in a position of showing up and leading other women? Yes, it's messy. (laughs) Right. And I think, you know, I'm very open about the fact that it's not perfect. I didn't leave an abusive relationship and I don't operate as a single mom perfectly ever really. (laughs) And the fact that I still have to communicate with him means that I have to do a lot of work to protect my energy and my emotional and mental health because the manipulation does not end. Mm -hmm. So I still see a therapist, not as frequently as I once did, but kind of as a maintenance check-in, right? I do a lot of work on my own, reading books, practicing what I preach in terms of challenging my thoughts every day. And I have just, I call them my non-negotiables that are just every day, the things that I have to do to take care of myself that have been really, really helpful during this COVID time. Yeah. Can you share some of those? Because I've seen you share a little bit on social media. I've seen you like going for runs with both of your kids in tow. And I, if I'm remembering correctly, the picture that I'm thinking of is the most adorable picture in the world. And you're like, yeah, this looks super cute. It was kind of awful. But we did it. We went for a run together. <laughs> I am so tired of running with kids on their But I'm so glad that I can at least do that, right? I can think both things. I can be grateful and also think it sucks. (laughs) But yeah, daily exercise is my therapy. It is the thing that gets me through. So that is number one. We have a morning outing every morning since COVID where they're on their bikes. I'm running. We know like everybody that is out every day. (laughs) They think we're like a crazy family. So that happens. And I am a firm believer in at night, I do brain dumps. So I literally just write out what is going on in my head, whatever is holding, I'm holding on to any of the things, right? It doesn't have to look pretty. It's literally just me processing, letting go. So those two things alone are super helpful for me. And then just getting outside during the day for me, I just need to be out whether it's like putting my feet in the grass or it's sitting in the sun, I just need that time. Yeah, that all makes a ton of sense. And I love that you know those things and you can label those things and go through the checklist because I think that is that in and of itself is a really powerful coping skill to not just like have the coping skills in your back pocket, but to be like, these are the five things I do every day. Like these are the non-negotiables. Here's the list We're every day we're getting up, we're doing these things. And that gives you power, especially when you're in times like right now. I mean, I'm sure you had times early on when you first left that felt really relentless, but now you're in this relentlessness of a pandemic and not having a break because of that and not having a traditional school day because of that. And I think that makes it all the more important and valuable. 
It is. And I am a big believer in four count breathing. I do that a lot during the day. Utel, explain that to us. So it's also referred to as box breathing, but you can literally do it anywhere. And I do it all the time because it taps into your parasympathetic nervous system, much like any other type of breath work, but you only have to do a couple rounds of it to really just settle you. And because you're focusing on counting, it takes your brain out of the catastrophizing or the negative spiral or the circling the drain, as I call it, mm. that we so often find ourselves in lately because yeah. it's normal. But it's basically you inhale for a count of four, you hold your breath at the top for a count of four, you exhale for a count of four, and then you hold it at the bottom for a count of four. So you can literally visualize creating a box as you do the breathing. I love that. That's such a good skill. I do something similar when I can't sleep. Um, but like, to your point around using counting with breathing, it does pull your brain out of those places that it tends to when it's tending, tending to spin out. And that can be yes, so helpful. Yes. <laughs> We all do it. It always ends with us like on the street corner, homeless without clothes on, right? Like that is always where we take ourselves. So <laughs> totally. Mine is during the night and it's weird things that during the day are not overwhelming to me. But for some reason at 3 a.m., they're extremely overwhelming and like the world is going to end because of this weird one thing. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, that was so irrational. Like, how did I get to that place? It's funny how it shows up when you're, so it's almost like you're kind of pushing it away throughout the day. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you think you're going to sleep? Mm -mm. Right. Here we go. <laughs> right. Yes. 100%. Oh my gosh. So like you said, you don't pretend any of this is easy and you fully admit that how you are showing up and living can be super messy. So how do you show up as your most authentic self as a leader and as you're leading others? Yeah. You know, I spent so much of my life, like a lot of people, trying to pretend that everything was perfect. And on the outside, it sure as hell looked like it was, right? I was super high level in my career. I was training for the Olympic trials. I looked healthy. I was, you know, doing all the things. But on the inside, I was such a hot mess and I wasn't as effective. I was constantly trying to manage that. So it didn't come out right. We just, we spend so much energy and it wreaks havoc on our health and our well-being, on our relationships, everything. And I have found that the more real I am about the fact that life is hard and messy, but I'm still creating goals and going after them. And it's not perfect. And it might not, I might not get there the way I think I'm going to. That allows my clients and the people I work with to connect with me. Like, oh, this chick is real. Like she's not trying to tell us that, you know, she came from the bottom and now she's, you know, nothing's wrong because I don't buy into that. And I think that you know, as for myself, the people I connect the most with are the ones who, like you, Sarah, who are just, it's out, like, here's the hard stuff. It's okay. We're all there, right? Because it, it humanizes us and it makes us not feel like we're alone. Right. Absolutely. And that's, I think, so important because I think when you, I mean, eating disorders, super lonely, abusive relationships, super lonely. <laughs> um, and then trying to show up single mom, super lonely, <laughs> right? So, yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you added that. Yes. 100%. So yeah. And when we can talk about those things, we give ourselves power over those situations. And the thing about when you, I would imagine, you know, healing from an eating disorder, healing from an abusive relationship, that's not a linear path. No. And it's not linear and it's not quick. And I totally appreciate kind of the way that you're talking about this and that like having to get over striving for perfection and having to get over striving to show up in a certain way and what that, how you would show up um, or how you would be perceived by other people. I'm curious if there are times of regression around either your eating disorder or your mental health in terms of back going back to places that felt unstable when you were going through the either the eating disorder or the abusive relationship, I would imagine that there's times where there are days where there is regression. Yeah, you know, with the eating disorder, I had a few relapses in my 20s before I actually did the work. So those were 
you know, I associated being small to being successful. So it just kept showing up. But now the regression is smaller because I have the tools in place where I can catch myself. And if we're talking about the eating disorder, for me, it's that glance in the mirror where I catch myself judging myself, right? Or it's the, you know, just the scene that I've aged, right? I'm 40. So I look a little different. It's some of that criticism that shows up that we all experience from time to time. And for me, it's really just challenging the thought, right? Just saying, okay, is this thought useful? No. What can I think instead? And riding that home. And that has helped me a lot. I was so afraid to get back into competitive racing, running, because my story was that, you know, the faster I got, the more unhealthy I was. And so when I got back on a team here locally and started racing and could prove to myself that I could compete and also be healthy, that was super empowering. And it was one of those things that I always tell people, you need to create a badass list about your accomplishments, the things you've overcome, all of that stuff. So you can go back to that when things get hard. And that's one of the things that I really go to, to say, okay, you know, you're doing this, you're getting through these things and you're not falling back into old habits with the relationship. Like I said, I couldn't just leave it. He's still here. I have to see him. That one's a little bit harder. I have to really prepare for communication. I have to open an email and not respond to it until a day later. I have to really protect myself because I am still working on standing up for myself in that area. And there's so much trauma associated with it that it's not as quick, right? Mm, yeah. So I am working on it and I have to process it with, you know, safe people to help me. But, you know, again, it's really checking in with myself, recognizing where the manipulation is, taking, like removing my feelings about it from it and stepping outside of it has been really helpful. Yeah. Something I see kind of as a common theme in both of these pieces of your story is the ability. It's almost like a delayed gratification or the ability to be like checking in with yourself around your need to be reactive and instead have to be like thoughtful and well, thoughtful, proactive, intentional, mindful, like all these things. And that's really hard. And perfectionism, I think, as someone who manages perfectionism myself <laughs> and, and manages and tries to not embrace perfectionism and really steer myself right. in the other direction and create a lot of space for imperfect action. Um, one of the things I find myself struggling with a lot is reactivity and wanting to like fix something, make it right. And like really quickly. And I'm, I was not laughing, but relating to you talking about opening an email and making yourself wait a day to reply. Cause that is like torture for me. And I have a good friend and it's something I make myself practice. And I will tell you, like, I hate it so much, but I have a really good friend who's gone through a really hard divorce and she'll reach out to me about Thing, and it's you have drawn a lot of parallels between your story and her story. And she has an ongoing, you know, shared custody situation as well. So it's like, this is a story that's not has no ending, and like yours. And but a story that has a lot of chapters every week, it seems like. And but one of the things that happens is she'll, you know, something will happen, she'll reach out to me, and I'm like, reactive on her behalf. And so I'm like, Oh, my gosh, you need to reply right away and say this and do this and blah, blah. And I have to catch myself. I'm like, this is not even my divorce, by the way, or my custody situation. <laughs> and so I totally relate to you saying like, when, and I'm sure anyone can, listening can relate to getting an email and then thinking like, okay, like I'm gonna have to pause and then pay attention. Or even in the, when you're talking about an eating disorder and talking about being conscientious around, okay, you know, if I'm training in running again and my inclination with an event coming up in a few weeks is to start to like withhold food or wh whatever the case may be. Instead, I can't be reactive in that way. Instead, I have to be thoughtful and intentional around like, how can I nourish myself? And how can I stay really healthy between now and then? And so it's really around like managing that reactivity and managing your probably desire for 
those quick go-to reactions. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Yes, dropping the impulse. And I think, you know, in general, it's hard for us to slow down enough to pay attention to how we feel. I mean, that is the most uncomfortable thing that I do with my clients is I get to them that get them to that place where, okay, we need to, how are you feeling? Like what's going on Mm -hmm. and how do you want to feel? And I, we spend so much time avoiding that. I've gotten really comfortable being uncomfortable in that place. And I've had to, especially because there are two little boys involved if we're talking about the relationship. And yeah. I spent so much time trying to protect them from him. And I had to finally say, you know what, that is not my job. And they're going to figure it out eventually. Yeah. And letting go of that, trying to control that has helped a lot too. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about helping other women create plans around their goals. Mm. So what does this look like? How, what key things are you focusing on when you help women create plans to work toward their goals? And just, I mean, in terms of either identifying goals or working toward them. Yes. So it's being a competitive athlete, I bring in the strategy because that's obviously my thing. But also because I think we have this really ask backwards way of going and setting goals, I start with identifying how we want to feel first. 
So, which is really hard for women to initially wrap their head around because we don't allow ourselves to think about how we want to feel all the time, or we struggle with identifying how that will even feel, right? Yeah. So we have this idea like, oh, that could be really great, but how is that going to feel? So we start with the end in mind and then create the goal. So if you said to me, I want more freedom or I want more security, then I would say to you, well, what would that look like? What would that feel like? You know, how would your life be? How would day-to-day be in any specific area of your life, right? And then we back out of that and create the goal that is going to allow you to feel that way. Because I don't know about you, but every time in the past that I would hit a goal, quote-unquote goal, right? I get to the next level of my career. I do whatever. I would get to it and be like, "Uh, aren't I supposed to be excited or feel happy about this? Like it was just like a, you know, balloon deflating. I got there, but I didn't, I wasn't excited. And so with this, you start with the feeling and then you start to create the goal and it can feel really scary. So my style of coaching is we start with 90 day goals. So we don't have that overwhelm. We don't quit. Right. And it's really simplifying the actions that are day to day that add up just like I would if I'm training for a marathon, right? I just focus on the next day. I don't think about the time I have to hit two months from now. I think about what I have to do today and creating those steps. I also love the idea around being really considerate around how you want to feel. I know that achievers tend to be really metric driven or either metric driven or like, I don't know, step like, you know, hitting a certain milestone driven, I guess. Yes. So milestone or metric. And so to your example, to the point of your example around like, you know, hurting a certain position at work or what have you for me, it's around things like we just hit 3 million downloads on the podcast. And I was like, woohoo. And then I was like, I don't know. I mean, it's like, I'm excited. Yes. But also I was immediately like, but what's the next thing kind of? Yes. Like I had a hard time pausing. And this is an ongoing thing I've noticed about myself now over in recent years that like, kind of flying past milestones and things that should be celebrated and like off to the next thing already. And so I love this idea around how do you want to feel? Because what I've recognized now being an entrepreneur for 17, almost 18 years is like how I want to feel is I want to feel in charge of my schedule. I want to feel like I can take myself to lunch every Friday for two hours and just like do whatever I want. There's all these things around how I want to feel that suddenly are not suddenly, but are over time really strongly increasingly taking precedence over metrics. Yes. And that's different for an achiever. And I'm like, oh, is this what it's like to be 45? Like, is this, have I finally matured? Because I just was leaving a message for someone earlier today talking about like, I'm done being so metric focused. I just want to like focus on impact and what feels good. (laughs) I think so too. And all of my clients struggle with this too, because, you know, achievers, we, like you said, we want miles and we create those, but we also are identifying like how it's going to feel. We can have the metrics, we can have the milestones, we can make it measurable, all those things. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that means nothing if it doesn't allow us to feel the way we want to feel. Right. And it's really exhausting. This is something I've been noticing how exhausting it is to chase metrics if they're not making you feel the way you want to feel. Yes. If you want to just get burned out really fast, do that. Like follow chase metrics and chase metrics typically created or deemed to be successful by other people that you've decided to adopt because someone else defined them for you and decided that like your podcast is successful only if you have, you know, this many downloads or if it makes this amount of money or whatever the thing may be. I think that's true across professions. But yeah, like other people define the metrics and then you go after them thinking that it'll feel great when you get there. And then you get there and you're like, hmm, that feel great. I just really worked really hard for a very long time and I'm just kind of tired. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Totally. So I want to know, you talk about the only real motivation comes from us deciding that we were done playing small and we're done settling and that no one can make that choice for us. So talk about like being done playing small and done settling and how do we get to that place and make and own that decision? Yeah, uh, this is a big one. And you kind of touched on it a little bit. You know, I think there's a lot of talk about confidence, right? But confidence doesn't happen until you, you know, take that step, that courageous step to do something. 
which is going to feel scary. And I don't buy into the, you can be fearless. I think there's got to be an element of fear in anything that is worth going after. Right. Yeah. And I find that in our culture, we spend a lot of time. I mean, Google, you can find the answer to anything. There are a million people selling services and ways to live online. And I think that eliminates this desire to figure it out ourselves, right? There's quick fixes. There's a book that'll tell me what to do. There's all these things. And so it's an easy out, just like we kind of started to talk about at the beginning, whereas you can know all the things, but there's a difference between knowing and doing. And it's the action that creates the motivation. So People are waiting around to be inspired, right? Waiting around for the right time, all of this stuff. It's not going to happen until you act because once you do something, you get that dopamine hit and you are wanting to do more, right? And the misconception is if I do what so-and-so tells me worked for them and I follow it to a T, then the motivation is going to come. I'm going to be successful and I'm going to get to where they are but it's about figuring it out for yourself and identifying what you want. And it's so important. So little actions, tiny actions that get you going that feel a little scary, but start to move the needle. Yeah. I was actually just talking to someone about this a couple of times with podcast coaching clients who are starting their own podcast and feeling so caught up in, well, should it be about this or should it be about this? Or should it be this format or that for, and like getting really caught up in one thing. And my feedback is you have to just start and you clarity will come and you will get lit up. But one of the things I did is I was like, I know that I have, I knew I wanted to start a podcast. I knew I wanted it to be about motherhood. I didn't know totally what I wanted the content to be long term. So I decided to do I recorded 12 episodes and recording 12 episodes before launching a show was super hard because it was like sitting and talking to myself for 12 hours. I don't recommend people do it that way. I would never do that now. I would say like do three episodes. Right. But what I learned during that process was oh, these things that I'm, there were certain things that I recorded that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like so fired up about this right now. I have goosebumps. And then there was other things where I was like boring myself to tears. So I quickly learned as I created content, like, oh, this is what I want to create more of. This feels really good. And the only way I could learn that was by doing it and taking the steps and figuring it out and then moving in that direction versus letting someone else tell me like, well, you should do it this way versus that way. Or this person did it this way and that worked for them. Exactly. And you know, there's an element of fear of failure, right? But the failure is what gets us closer to the thing that we want to be doing, right? It just, it creates that path that allows us to see what works, what doesn't, what feels good, what doesn't. It keeps us, you know, moving in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. So your approach to life is non-prescriptive, which seems to be the opposite of everything we see these days, as in, which is so true. And I know you and I, we've worked with some of the same business coaches. We have friends who are similar leaders in the industry. And so we have been around the block to see there's a lot of people like, come do my nine steps of this thing, and then you'll get XYZ as a result. So there's a lot of prescriptive stuff out there. Can you talk about living in uh, your approach being non-prescriptive and, and why that's so important? Yes. I am all about doing things in a very unconventional way. And I have found that whether it is your health or relationships or your business, what works for me is not going to work for anybody else. And what works for you, Sarah, is not going to work for me. And, you know, there are parts of things that we can use to create something that works for ourselves. But Again, going back to the way things are right now and just everything in our face about how you should do this, what it should look like, the things you should follow, right? You're going to get the results that I get. That's not necessarily true. And also, is it what you really want? I think, you know, we have to ask ourselves, what do we want it to look like? Is this what I want or is it what I think I'm supposed to want? (laughs) Those are like two very different things. Right. I remember a few years ago working on my business and following somebody and thinking, oh, I should do that with my business because that's what everybody is saying I should do. And I was like, this doesn't feel authentic to 
it's not what I want. It feels not me. And I had to catch myself and be like, oh my God, you gave in to like everybody else. Totally. But we have to do that to get, you know, to figure it out. But I think, you know, really recognizing that we have a choice. We get to decide what that's going to look like. I think that scares everybody because again, we're so caught up in everybody else telling us what we should do that we don't trust ourselves. So developing that self-trust and recognizing we have the answers inside of us, we just have to listen. Absolutely. I'm thinking of when I was in the fitness industry and my first business coaching experience was with two male business coaches in the fitness industry. And oh my God, I was in a group, a coaching group of like 30 guys and five women or so. And everything that they did Oh, it was so cringy and awful. And, but I was like new in terms of like building a successful, profitable business. And I was just absorbed everything. And there were so many things that they would say where I was like, I don't know if that's really me. I remember launching this like rapid fat loss program. Yeah. And I remember them and they were like, we'll give you the emails that you can send out to your people. And I remember. I made a few edits, but for the most part, I just copy and pasted because that's what they said. They're like, we've already tested this. It totally sells. And I remember just being like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed about this email I'm about to send out. And now like, I know better. I can do better. I would never send out something that someone else wrote. But at the time I was like, I don't know. They told me this is like the template though, right? And I'm a rule follower and I'm an achiever and this is what they said works. And I remember like the clarifying moment for me was being on a coaching call with one of them and my business was doing really well. And he's like, yeah, by the end of this year, you could open like your second or third gym location in Seattle. And I was like, oh my God, like that is not what I'm in this for. Right. <laughs> I want one profitable location. I am in no universe. Do I want to own three gyms? <laughs> and, but that was like the prescription they were putting out there for everyone else. And it was so great to have that moment of clarity that like, oh, no, 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 no. Like you don't have to do everything that they say or buy into everything. Like you can take the bits and pieces that work for you and are true for you and are authentic for you. Yeah, it is cringe you see out there right now. And, you know, that's why I think, no, I know a lot of my clients will come to me and they'll want me to give them all the answers. And I'm like, I'm not going to give them to you. I'm going to help you <laughs> find them. And I want you to make these decisions yourself because that's more empowering and that's what builds confidence. And that's what we want to be doing. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Okay. This has been so great, Kelly. I want you to tell us how you are currently showing up as a shameless mom. Well, this is funny. I remember that right after I got divorced and I remember going to like the gynecologist or something and having to fill out that form. And the question they ask you is like single, married, divorced, something like that. And I was so ashamed because I thought, well, what box do I fill out? <laughs> right? Like, am I suddenly now, am I divorced? Am I single? Like, why does that matter? Right. And I remember just walking out of there going, oh my God, like, why do I have to have this label on me? And I think that the way that I have started showing up and how I'm definitely owning the shameless part is that I'm okay that my life looks different and that, you know, I've made these choices and it's not conventional and it's okay. And I'm also okay saying that I don't want my kids at home 24 <laughs> seven. 100%. And I'm ready to go for a run by myself. And I think that, you know, owning where we're at and the journey we've taken and recognizing that's what has made us who we are is so important. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Kelly, this has been really amazing, really powerful. I appreciate how open you've been and how vulnerable you've been and just very true and authentic. Can you tell people if they want more of Kelly in their life, where can they find you? Where can they connect with you? Yes. Well, my website is kellytravis.net. You can find all things on my program as well as a free workshop that I do monthly there. Nice. What's your free workshop? It is a free workshop to kind of allow women to step into kind of creating unedited desires that they have that we've talked about, right? So unfiltered, unedited, like figuring them out. So you get to do that with me and I support you. And then social is at Kelly T Health. I will tell you that part of my wellness strategy is I try not to spend too much time on there, but I do show up, you know, a bit. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love how you show up on social. I'm trying to think because I know we're connected on Facebook. I might have to go do some Instagram stalking. Yeah. I'm probably connected to you on Instagram. Instagram is definitely where I show up more. Okay. So Facebook, I've stayed off of mostly. Not a bad decision. (laughs) Especially right now. Yes. As we're recording this in the middle of election week. So, oh my gosh, Kelly, thank you so much for being here. This has been really awesome. And I know this is going to touch listeners. I'm so excited. I want people to go check out your website, check out your free workshop. We'll link everything up in the show notes. If you go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Kelly Travis and everything will be right there. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.